God is love. We've got it twice in this chapter, first in verse 8 and then in verse 16. This is the only place in the Bible that actually says God is love. And in verse, verse 1 of the chapter uh, of our verses, we read, sorry, verse 7, we read that love comes from God. God doesn't just love, he is love. Now, the Apostle John doesn't really understand, or exp- sorry, doesn't explain to us how God is love. But the truth is that God is love because God is Trinity. Have you ever wondered what God was doing before he created the world? Do we accept what our Muslim friends say, that God is a solitary being? Do we worship a lonely, a detached God? On one occasion, when Jesus was praying to his heavenly Father, he said these words. He said, you love me, he was talking to the Father, you love me before the creation of the world. So clearly Jesus was there with the Father before the world was made. And he experienced the love of the Father. You see, God couldn't be a father if he didn't have a son. And he couldn't love without someone else to share that love with. God didn't create us in order to have something to love. Because God is love. Within the Godhead, there are three persons that all love each other. Always have loved each other. I know this is hard to get our head around. And we're stepping into the mystery of who God is. But one helpful way that I've found to understand this is through a painting um, by an artist called um, Rublev. And he painted an icon which portrayed um, the angels visiting Abraham. But later on, it was used as a way to understand uh, the Trinity. And I don't know whether you can see, you might want to look it up, Google it later and have a good look at it. But there are three figures. I don't know whether you can see their eyes, but they're each looking at the other. If you watch their eyes, it's fascinating to look at it. And the idea of um, this image is that you look at it and you somehow engage with it and think about who God is. And as we gaze, it draws us in. I don't know whether you notice, but right in the foreground at the front, there's an empty seat at the table. And the artist has put, that, put it there deliberately because we're invited to come in to occupy that seat and share in the love of God. So the Apostle John says the first reason we must love each other is because God is love. One writer says that's the doctrinal reason, if you like that kind of stuff. That's the doctrinal reason why we're called to love, because God is love. And then in verse 7 we read, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So Christians claim to be born of God and to know God. When we receive Christ into our lives, we're born again. We have a spiritual birth and a new relationship with God. And that relationship is based on love. That birth is based on love because God is love. Next, we see the Apostle Apostle John Um, appeal to the fact that love is what God has done in verses 9 to 11. Let's read from verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
So John turns now from talking about doctrine and he points us towards history. He says, look at how God has shown his love. This is how God has shown his love. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. And because God has sent his son, then he says in verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. How can we learn to love like Jesus does? Well, a good place to start is looking in history because God has shown us his love by sending his son so that we might have life in his name. And he achieves this through death on a cross. This isn't a sentimental love. This is a robust, a costly love. Jesus takes the nature of a servant. He humbles himself, becomes a human being. He faces the cross. He takes the punishment for our sin. He endures a pain of physical suffering and separation from God. And then God raises him from the dead. That's costly love. Augustine spoke last week about agape love. And he reminded us how the original Gospels were written in the Greek language and how the ancient Greek language had many words for love. In our English language, we only really have one word for love to describe many different types of love. So we talk about loving our parents, but also loving McDonald's. But there must be a difference, mustn't there? We're limited with our language. Uh, But the Greek language distinguishes four types of love using a a specific word for each. I know many of you know this, but just as a reminder, eros, the Greek word eros, is the word used to describe romantic love. And philia is the word used to describe brotherly, sisterly love shared between peers. And storge is a word to describe a parent's love for a child. And agape love, that's God's love, is the word used to describe the love of God. Agape And the word agape appears 259 times in the New Testament. We often think about love as a feeling, and human love is like that. It can be like that. But agape love is more than a feeling. It's an act of the will. One writer defines it like this. He says, agape love is an outgoing attitude that desires to do good to the one love. an outgoing attitude that desires to do good to the one loved. So Jesus used the word agape to instruct his disciples about how they should love those who hate him. He says in Luke 6, agape your enemies. Love your enemies with agape love. This is not natural love. This is supernatural loving. This is divine love. And we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into our lives. Finally, we see that uh, the apostle talks about a different kind of way of loving. Love is God at work in us today. I heard the story recently of a Christian who used his skills as a paraglider to tell people about Jesus. And what he would do is he'd go up into, jump off a hillside somewhere or a building, whatever they do, and he'd find some people down on the ground and he'd swoop down. And as he got near them, he'd tell them, tell them the message of Jesus. He'd share the gospel with them. But because he was so high up, he had to shout at them. Um, and for, of course, from his elevated position, he, couldn't, he, could, he could deliver the message, but there was no chance of a conversation. And the unsuspecting victims never really met him or got a chance to see what his life was like, whether he lived out these words. 
and he was eventually fined by a magistrate for his antics. <laughs> so you see, Christianity was never intended to be something that we shout at people as they pass by. Mission can never be six foot above the ground. We must follow the example of Jesus, who came down and lived among us. God's love has to be visible in our lives as well as in our words. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is invisible. No one has ever seen God. One writer has said this, What people get to see is his glory. That is the outward shining of his inner being. And we all struggle, don't we, if we're honest at times, that we can't actually see God. Because we've been taught to only believe in those things that we can touch and smell and taste and hear. And people still today say, I can't believe in something I can't see. And this isn't a new cry. The ancient Jews had the same issue. The surrounding nations used to taunt them and say, where is your God? You see, they had gods that you could touch and hold. And they'd say, come to our temples and see our idols. So what has God done to address this cry from our hearts? Well, listen to what uh, John wrote in his gospel. In chapter 1, verse 14 of John's gospel, it says, talking about Jesus, who is called the Word, it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus has come from the Father to reveal who God is. The invisible God has made himself visible through Jesus the Son. And if you want to know what God is like, then take a long, good look at Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote years later, The Son is the image of the invisible God. So the invisible God made himself visible. 2,000 years ago. But you might say, what about today? What about now? Well, in verse 18 of, of, um, of, our, of our reading, um, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God, and is in the closest... Sorry, that's from John's Gospel. Is, is in the closest relationship with the Father. But what's interesting is, and this slide shows it here, that John uses that, that first sentence that he uses in his gospel, he uses in his, in his letter. In the, when he uses it in the gospel, he's talking about how God has made himself visible through Jesus. But when he writes that same phrase in his letter, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So God makes his love visible through his people. Isn't that incredible that God has chosen to reveal himself through us? Some of you know that um, over this last week um, in our parish in Broadgate, sorry, that map hasn't come out very well, there's been um, some, a serious rise in antisocial behaviour. It's been going on for some time. Um, but on Tuesday night there was a serious altercation between the police and some members of our community and this led to them, the police putting a dispersion order on the area of Broadgate. Now we're used to looking at our map, aren't we? But we're not used to seeing that actually there's been some police action which is actually gives pa powers to the police to remove uh, move 
groups of youth on or anybody else that's meeting in a group because it could escalate into, into, into more difficulties. Um, and um, there has been a lot of good work going on in our community. And this week, I, I, on behalf of the church, I attended one of the, a multi-agency meeting to actually talk about some of the concerns that residents have um, about the increase in antisocial behavior. And I have to say that our church school has worked tirelessly to work with children, with troubled children. And we should thank God for them in all the work that they've done. But you know what? I've been challenged over this last week because I've been thinking, what are we doing as a church to address this situation? We can talk about love, can't we, in our bubble, in, an, in our church service, and we can all feel warm and fuzzy and go away. But, but what are we doing? What are we actually doing in our community? On Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to um, uh, walk around the community with um, a man called Omar Khan, who some of you know. He's a youth worker, and he's been employed by the sports club to, do, to work with young people in our area. And I went with him on Wednesday to talk to some of the families um, concerned. And I was really impressed with the way that he engaged with the families because he didn't make... He didn't excuse their behavior, which is really, really bad and unacceptable and needs, needs to stop. I'm not making any apologies or excuses for them. But what he did was he listened to them and he talked about them being our children and then he just kind of gently challenged them to say, you know, this has to stop. This has to change. We've got to work together. And I was really, really impressed with what he was doing. And it made me think, what are we doing as a church? How are we showing love? We talk about it. What are we doing? So my question this morning is, how can we get involved? We can pray. That's a good start. Pray for Omar and his team. Pray for these troubled young people. Pray for people that feel frightened in our community. But I ask Omar, how, how can we work with you? How can we support you? So I've agreed um, to go one evening a week. I'm going to walk around the area with him just to talk to people and get to know people better and try and help calm some of the situation. But he's also said, if anybody from church would like to come and help, on Wednesdays, every, every Wednesday through August, they're going to be doing some activities for the young people in the sports ground between 12 and 6. And he said, if the church, this is his words, if the church could come down, just be with us for a couple of hours so people can see who the church are, see that we're working together. That's come from him as a Muslim, inviting us to come and join with them. So if you feel that's something you could do, you could spare an hour to come and just stand and show interest in these children, support him in his work, then please talk to me afterwards. Our time is going. Let's move on. Let's, as we conclude, um, as we've been thinking about God's love, we are a church by a river. And we know that every river has a source. And if that source is blocked, then the river can't flow. And God's, river is, God's love is often talked about or presented as like a river in the Bible. And its source is God himself. But that love, love often finds blockages. And the blockages are usually in us. It's our lack of forgiveness, our pride, perhaps our hurt that we hold on to, or people that we've hurt. And let's be honest, the church hasn't got a good track record of love. Even this week, there was uh, another revelation of the Jesus Army in the Midlands where lots of people have been abused and, and harmed through what was really kind of a, 
almost a sect, but a part of, of church. And, and when we read these things, we're ashamed because that's not what Jesus calls us to be. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. So this morning, if you feel that you've got a blockage, let's just, just be quiet before the Lord and open ourselves up to his spirit because we can only love in the way that Jesus calls us to love with that agape love, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Romans 5, 5 says this, God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon us this morning, that you would fill our hearts with your love so that we can love others, those perhaps in the office that we find difficult to talk to, perhaps even family members, perhaps even somebody else in church, and especially those in our community who are hurt, feeling isolated, or those who are causing some of the problems. Lord, give us love, we pray, that spills out from our church family and into our communities where we live and where we work. Lord, this love comes from you, and we seek you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.